Welcome to Wednesday Word, a Bible study led by Pastor John Jenkins of Northport Baptist Church. Take your Bible and look in Isaiah chapter 35 and put your finger there and be ready to flip back to Isaiah chapter 32. I want to begin there. Uh, the reason for today's study is as Pastor John asked me to just step in and fill in his absence, I just wanted to pick up where Dina and I, we are working through the book of Isaiah together at home. Try to do one chapter a day. Sometimes it's one chapter a week. It's just so rich, the depths of Isaiah. I love the book. Isaiah is called one of the major prophets, not because it's more important, but just because the volume of the writing of this prophet. He was very prolific and, and had great longevity in his time of ministry, covering several kingdoms and, and several decades. And so he was able to prophesy and speak for many, many years. And so the, the brevity of his work is great and major, hence he's called one of the major prophets' writings compared to the 12 minor prophets, because they, they were no less important, and they were contemporaries, many of them, the minor prophets. But, but in his case, we're looking at just many, many chapters of writings that covers decades. And we're going to jump in in chapter 32 briefly, and then spend the rest of our time in Isaiah 35. And in the course of Isaiah, in his, in his ministry to the kingdom of Israel, He's told at the beginning of his ministry, you're going to be prophesying to my people, and they're not going to listen. You're going to preach your heart out, son, but they're going to have deaf ears. And how about that for a blessing your heart, you know, starting your ministry, you know, that you're going to preach, 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 and, and it's going to be a good word, but people are going to be hard of heart and hard of hearing. And so as we begin this, I'm going to jump in where I'm at in my personal study. We're not going to, if you want to study Isaiah more depth, come to the Tuesday Precepts Bible study. Y'all will be starting back next week, correct? You're picking up in Isaiah 40, uh, continuing your study. So for any of you ladies that want to jump in, oh, yeah, yeah, it's really good. Oh, it is, it, but absolutely. And so we're jumping in uh, to a period of Isaiah's writings in the timeline of, of his preaching and his prophecy to the people of Israel and the nations where we're coming out of a series of woes and judgments upon the people and the surrounding nations, and we're beginning to take a more hopeful turn to the future of Israel and God's people. But in Isaiah chapter 32, I really love these, these first two verses here, because I want us to talk today primarily as the title of the screen behind me says, The King and His Kingdom. We live in a time today where, is that, oh, it's gone. Let me turn it back on. That power flicked and uh, we lost it, didn't we? There we go. There we go. How about that? Thank you for chuckling and heckling out there at my stuff. Yeah. Y'all keep me honest, right? So, so as you can see now, the title of the PowerPoint is The King and His Kingdom, because as I read through Isaiah's writings about the coming of the Lord Jesus in his second 
reign, to be king over heaven and earth on this earth. That And y'all have done revelation already with Pastor John. Y'all know where we're going with this, but Isaiah speaks so much to the same thing about the coming kingdom of Christ Jesus. And as I live in this world that we live in today, we live in a world with nations filled with hatred and rage and an uproar internally with civil wars, as well as wars with nation upon nation. And all we got to do is look at today's newspaper and see the strife and the angst that the world is in right now. And so I long for a day when King Jesus will come and set up his kingdom and bring peace to the earth. I look forward to that day, don't you? And I just love the, the beauty of the words of Isaiah's prophecy here. As he says in verse 30, chapter 32, verse 1, he says, Behold, a king will reign righteously, and princes will rule justly. Each will be like a refuge from the wind and a shelter from the storm, like streams of water in a dry country, like the shades of a huge rock in a parched land. Now, as you read this, you're going to notice here that Isaiah loves to use the analogy and the picture of land describing Christ reign. And we see that immediately here uh, in his imagery that like a refuge from the wind and shelter from a storm, like streams of water in a dry country. Because we can all relate to that, right? We understand drought. We understand the joy of seeing the rains come after a long season of drought and how it just warms our heart and refreshes our soul and our bodies physically when we see those rain clouds form and the rains come to a dry part. We know that there's renewal and life returning to a dry place. And for a nation like where we are in the world today, we are in a dry place spiritually in our world today. We're in a dry place around the world with the lack of righteousness in our, in our world. Look in Isaiah, uh, same chapter, Isaiah 32. Uh, verse 15. He says, until the Spirit is poured out upon us from on high, and the wilderness becomes a fertile field, and the fertile field is considered a forest, then justice will dwell in the wilderness, and righteousness will abide in the fertile field. And the work of righteousness will be peace, and the service of righteousness, quietness, and confidence forever. Then my people will live in a peaceful habitation and live in in secure dwellings and in undisturbed resting places. So again, Isaiah is continuing to paint this picture for us about the coming kingdom of Christ Jesus when the world will be at peace, creation will be at peace, and we're going to just live with just this a sigh of relief the war, the strife is over. It's going to be great. And then in chapter 33, quickly there, verse 5, it says this, The Lord is exalted, for he dwells on high, and he has filled Zion, which is another name for Jerusalem, with justice and righteousness. And he will be the stability of your times. This is Isaiah 33, verse 5. 
So when Christ Jesus comes and he sets up his kingdom in Jerusalem, he is going to be just and righteous as our leader, and he's going to be our stability. Look in verse 17 of the same chapter. It says, your eyes will see the king in his beauty, and they will behold a far distant land. Your eyes will see the king in his beauty. I can't wait for the day that we will see King Jesus setting up his kingdom there in Jerusalem, reigning forever and ever. It's going to be glorious. And Isaiah sees and has a glimpse of this. And he goes on in verse 22 of the same chapter 33 and says this, For the Lord is our judge, the Lord is our lawgiver, and the Lord is our king, and he will save us. As I've read through the book of Isaiah, and he refers to this time and time again throughout these prophecies and, and throughout his writings here, that Jesus is our judge, and he's a righteous lawgiver, and he's our king. We live in such a world today that politicians, statesmen, we don't trust him anymore. What man on this earth can we trust? No one. There's such great um, disdain and lack of trust, hatred, if you will, for leadership around the entire world. We see corruption time and time again throughout history in leadership. We, we, we elevate men with hopes that they're going to be a good king or a good president or a good prime minister, men and women alike. You know, uh, Britain just got a new female prime minister. And so whether it be male or female in leadership, with every new leader, there's always hope that maybe this one's better than the last. And as good as they go into the offices, they get corrupted so easily. And so it's just the world we live in. But the day will come when Jesus will reign and be a righteous and holy judge. He is going to make judgments that are absolutely perfect and spot on full of wisdom and truth and full of grace when he does so. And he's going to reign righteously as a king. You know, we read fairy tales and we have stories like Lord of the Rings of these fabled uh, cities and worlds that are fantasies that allude to this dream of having a romanticized view of a king that will one day reign righteously. But the reality is that Jesus Christ will come and he will reign as king and Lord. And so I just look forward to it. And uh, I love to pray to Jesus as my righteous king, as my righteous judge. And when I see injustice today, when I see wrong being done in the world, I pray to King Jesus. Jesus, would you bring justice right now in this moment? to something that's being done terribly wrong. King Jesus, would you please exercise wisdom and bring, bring restoration to those that are weak and helpless? And he's going to do that. So we look forward to that. So in chapter 34, we're going to skip because it comes back to God's wrath on the nations. And it does say in verse 6 of chapter 34 that the sword of the Lord is filled with blood. So not only is King Jesus going to be a 
a benevolent king who is going to be good to those that are obedient, but he is going to come back with great vengeance after the tribulation, with tribulation force. And when the scrolls are unsealed with the judgments of Christ against the world for their lack of obedience to him, there is going to be much blood spilt upon this earth because of your choice to disobey God. Uh, Dean and I, as Dean and I were reading this chapter together, I'm not sure where she read it, but she read a statement that said this, that blood is required for sin. If you choose to disobey God, it's going to be your blood that's going to be shed. Your blood as a nation, if a nation chooses to disobey God, the blood of the nation will be required if they disobey God. The blood of an individual, if you choose individually to just turn your back upon God, your blood will be required for your sins. But if you obey God and if you turn and repent of your sins and turn and trust in God, then the blood of Jesus covers your sin. His blood covers and is shed for our sins, not mine. So if you live in disobedience, your blood is going to be shed. But if you obey Christ and follow him and repent, his blood is shed instead of yours. So look at Isaiah chapter 35. We turn again, we're swinging the pendulum now back away from judgment and the wrath of God in chapter 34, coming back to a more happy place in verse chapter 35. And we're going to walk quickly through these 10 verses in the time that we have left here. It says in uh, verse 1, The wilderness and the desert will be glad, and the Arabah will rejoice and blossom like the crocus. Verse 2, It will blossom profusely and rejoice with rejoicing and shouts of joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. So remember how we read in the previous verses and chapters about this imagery of not only when King Jesus comes back and sets up his reign, not only will, will the people be at peace, but the land itself will be restored and be flourishing once again. Both creation and human beings will both live in harmony and flourishing and thriving once again when Jesus comes back. If you look at a picture here on the screen behind me here, you see a field. And so as I read verse 1, we see two words here, the word wilderness and the word Arabah in the New American Standard Version, which is what I have here. Wilderness can be described as a place, a land where you drive through with cattle, maybe much like this picture right here. Open fields where, like we see in Montana, maybe just wide open spaces is a description of what we see here, and the desert will be glad, and the Arabah, which is another word for desert, will rejoice and blossom. So when King Jesus comes back, that the land itself will bloom once again and flourish with uh, vegetation and plants and various trees and stuff. For example, as it says, like the crocus. Now, Janelle Gray is not here, and I'm so disappointed because she would be all over what we're about to talk about. I know Janelle loves flowers. She loves flowers. Who else loves flowers in this room? 
anybody else, a few flower lovers, correct me if I'm wrong, Marie and the others here, but I took the time in just a second to show you some pictures. But before I show you the picture of some flowers, on the screen here, we have an aerial view of the land of Israel in just one section here. And you see how barren it is? There's just not much vegetation there. But slowly but surely, Israel is coming back to life again with vegetation. It's not there yet, but when Jesus comes back, all that's going to change. And he says here in verse 1 that the wilderness and the desert will bloom again like the crocus. The crocus is in the iris family. And this is a picture here you see of various colors of flowers from the land of Israel. And so they, they're a plant that comes up. And when they bloom, they're perennials. I always get annuals and perennials mixed up. Perennials mean they keep coming back, right? Yeah, that's what I thought. So anyway, this is a perennial, much like the iris, and they come in many different colors. And you can see here this field there on those pictures in Israel itself, a small field of these flowers. And so sometimes in your Bibles, you may see a description of the rose of Sharon. Or maybe even in this verse, it might say the word rose, but that's more of a general description of a specific plant, maybe like the crocus right here, which is like a, a variation of a lily. And interesting to notice that verse, in verse 2, it says this, and it will blossom profusely. It's a spring flower, but this one is going to blossom profusely. And in this particular plant, the crocus flower, it closes when it's overcast or dark, but then it opens back up on bright days. And so the imagery here that Isaiah is trying to say is there are brighter days ahead for the land of Israel because these flowers are going to bloom, open up profusely because of the brightness and the light of Christ upon the land of Israel. Those flowers aren't going to be closed up in darkness like they are more often these days now in our land, but they're going to open up and bloom profusely and rejoice with rejoicing and shouts of joy. And it goes on to say, the glory of Lebanon will be given to it. So in the land of Israel, we know much about Lebanon. You know, uh, the cedars are the most famous thing in Lebanon. If you look at the national flag of Lebanon, on it is a, is a cedar tree. And I, got, I think I got a picture of one. Here's a picture right there of a cedar tree from Lebanon. And so they're very sparse now. The land of Israel used to be filled. Lebanon is the northern portion of Israel that, as a country now, it borders the northern side of Israel. And it was mountainous and it was just filled with these cedars. These cedars are phenomenal for their hardiness. They, they resist disease. They don't have knots in them, so they were terrific for making mast of ships. And the Bible even talks about referring to, we will take cedars of Lebanon to make mast for your ships. And even, uh, it's just prolific how long they lived. And they're just beautiful, strong, hardy trees. They were easy to work with, to make things with. So beautiful. And, but because they are so popular, they got over, over logged. And so just like the problem we have with our Amazon rainforest now, 
that are just being just forested too much or logged too much, and it's becoming few and far between. Now in Israel, there's only maybe a dozen small patches of the Lebanon cedar trees left today, and there's efforts going on to try to replant their cedars. But you can see here that when Jesus comes back through his own hand or the miraculous restoration of the earth, these things will be glorious. These cedars of Lebanon will be given to the land of Israel, and the majesty of Carmel and Sharon will also be there. Here we have a picture of, this is uh, Mount Carmel right here, of the foothills of it. And if you're sitting up close, you can't see that, but that's a valley or the plains of Sharon. Sharon is actually cornered by three, a trifecta of mountains on the, on the, on the western plain of the Mediterranean. And it really turned into swampland because there is no way for the waters that gathered there in the plains of Sharon to let the water pass through. But because of Herod the Great, who created tributaries and man-made ways for the water to pass through, it became a thriving, flourishing place. And so now it's considered a great place to, uh, and now it's part of Tel Aviv, I believe. But there you see a small glimpse of what it could be and should be when King Jesus comes back. And it says here, speaking of the majesty of Carmel and Sharon, that they will see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. So while we today marvel in the glory and the beauty of the, the cedars and these flowers and the lands and the mountains, we glory in that, the small glimpse of the glory of Jesus, the land itself will glory in King Jesus. And there's one description that's given here in my study about this, that the land will be moved in a strong way with emotion, almost like in a violent way, like just, just turned on, like a mighty rushing wind, almost a violent way in a positive or negative way, depending on how the context is written. So it's almost like the way I read this, when King Jesus comes back and sets up his kingdom, they're just going to be just doing this. The leaves are going to be just flickering. Ooh, Jesus is back. Jesus is here in his glory. And the wind will be coming through, and those flowers will be swaying and just glistening with the dew of the morning, with the glory that Jesus is back on his throne. Just alive, violent with action and just anticipation that Jesus is here. And why is this so important? It all began in a garden, didn't it? Adam and Eve was born and given to us and created there in the Garden of Eden, and the garden flourished there in Eden. God walked in their midst, and when, when God had his feet on this earth, the lands flourished and thrived, and it was perfect. It was beautiful. It was lush back in the Garden of Eden. But because of sin, it, it not only corrupted us, it corrupted, it corrupted creation as Romans talks about. And we can turn there in just a second and read that. I think it's Romans chapter 8. In just a minute, we'll read that. But so that's why not only do we long for and rejoice in the coming of King Jesus, creation does too. In Isaiah chapter 6, 
is where Isaiah began his ministry, just to mention here that he says in verse 11, in verses 8 through 13, let me just read that real quick. We've got time. We've got all the time in the world. Y'all are retired. Y'all got nowhere to go but take a nap. In Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah chapter 6 says this. He has got his great commission from the Lord. Who, who will go for us, God says. And he says, here am I, send me. And he said, God says to Isaiah, go and tell this people, the people that keep on listening but do not perceive, keep on looking but do not understand, render the hearts of this people insensitive, their ears dull, their eyes dim. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and return and be healed. And then he goes on to say, Isaiah asks this question, Lord, how long? I'm asking that question now. How much longer, Lord, before you come back? How long before you do this, what you're talking about? And God says this, until the cities are devastated and without inhabitant, houses are without people, and the land is utterly desolate. The Lord has removed men far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. Yet there will be a tenth portion in it, and it will again be subject to burning or judgment, like the terebinth or an oak, whose stump remains when it's felled, the holy seed is its stump. All this to say in this, in this writing is that with the judgment of God, and he's not going to come back and set up his kingdom until the land is desolate. And we're, we, we're in a desolate state now. Remember that picture we saw right there of how desolate the land of Israel is? There are patches of flourishment now, but as a whole, it's still considered relatively desolate. And then he goes on to say in chapter 7, verses 23 and 25, he says this, And it will come about in that day that every place where there used to be a thousand vines, valued at a thousand shekels of silver, will become briars and thorns. People will come there with their bows and arrows because all the land will be briars and thorns. As for all the hills which used to be cultivated with the hoe, you would not go there for fear of the briars and the thorns, but they will become a place of pasturing oxen, oxen and for sheep to trample. Again, just speaking to the desolation of the land, and this is kind of the state that we're in in general in the, in the timeline of history. But here's the hope. The hope that we have that the land will be restored is found in Isaiah chapter 41. Isaiah chapter 41 says this. Isaiah 41 verses 17 through 20. The afflicted and the needy are seeking water, but there is none. And their tongue is parched with thirst. I, the Lord, will answer them myself. As the God of Israel, I will not forsake them. 
God says this, I will open rivers on the bare heights and springs in the midst of the valleys. I will make the wilderness a pool of water and the dry land fountains of water. I will put the cedars in the wilderness and the acacia and the myrtle and the olive tree. And I will place the juniper in the desert together with the box tree and the cypress. So the day will come, and we can go ahead and read verse 20, that they may see and recognize and consider and gain insight as well, that the hand of the Lord has done this, and the Holy One of Israel has created it. In this verse here that I read, there was mentioned seven kinds of trees. Now, I'm looking at you, David. You're a, you're a lumber guy. I would love to sit down with you and let you explain to us all the, what all this means, having these, this, the variety of seven trees mentioned that will be flourishing when King Jesus comes back. That would be a great study by itself. But it goes to speak to the prolific blessing of God upon his land and his people. I read this in my brief study getting ready for this morning, that Israel has over 2,800 varieties of flowers alone. The whole land of Israel, uh, Europe only has 3,000. So just in the one small compact land of Israel, it almost equals the vast European continent with the, how many flowers and the varieties there are. And it's all because of the unique geography of the land of Israel, where it sits, you know, placed there between Eurasia to the north, the Mediterranean Sea to the, to the west, and the mountains and the desert. It just creates this perfect place for such great joy and the variety of trees, like we just read there, these seven varieties, as well as flowers. Look in Romans chapter 8, verses 8 through 15. I alluded to it just a second ago. Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 15. Romans 8, the 8, uh, yeah, 8, yeah. Oh, no, excuse me, 18. 18 through 25. We got it right now. I'm hearing one thing, seeing something else, and saying something else. Yeah. Okay. Romans chapter 8, verse 18. Start there. As Paul writes, talking about creation and his desire for the King Jesus to come. Everybody there? Romans 8, verse 18, says this, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that in the creation itself also we will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. 
And not only this, but we also ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what is already, already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we, with perseverance we wait eagerly for it. So the message there lines up with what Isaiah is speaking to, that both we as humans, as followers of Christ, and creation itself is longing for King Jesus to come and make everything right, both the land and the people. And then as we moved from Isaiah chapter 35 onward through that chapter, and we'll move a little quicker here now, Verses 3 through 6 speaks to us about the weak will become strong and the handicap will be handicapped no longer. It says this in verse 3 of chapter 35 of Isaiah. We're back over there now. Encourage the exhausted and strengthen the feeble. When I read that, I thought, I'm tired. <laughs> I, I, I can relate to this verse because I have days I'm just exhausted and I don't know why. You can blame it on COVID. You can blame it on stress and worry about everything in the world. You can blame it on the grandkids you just kept all weekend or the work you had to do for working 60-hour weeks or 80-hour weeks. Whatever you want to blame it on, I think we as a general population, we're, we stay exhausted, don't we? And then if you're not exhausted, but because of age and just simple weakness, you become feeble. If you 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 gonna get it one way or the other, yeah. The young are gonna be exhausted, and but he says here, the hope is that when King Jesus comes back, that the, he will encourage the exhausted and strengthen the feeble, and say to those with anxious hearts, I love this. Take courage, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. The recompense of God will come but he will save you. Then the eyes of the blind will be open, the ears of the deaf will be unstopped, and the lame will leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute will shout for joy, for waters will break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert or the Arabah. I can't wait for this to be fulfilled says me and my little hearing aids that I've been wearing since first grade. I'm tired of being handicapped. I'm tired of being deaf. I'm tired of saying, huh? I'm tired of saying, what? I'm tired of that. And I know you're tired of all your aches and pains of your own handicaps of wearing glasses and readers and your, your hip joints being replaced and all that. We're tired of all that. And so our bodies look forward to the day that everything is going to be made new and we're going to leap, and we're going to shout, and we're going to talk and not stammer. We're going to hear and laugh and rejoice at what we're hearing and what we're seeing. And the greatest thing about it, we're going to be able to fully take in the glory of Jesus. It won't be no cataract vision back there, Mickey, trying to make, is that Jesus through that? That really is a halo on him and not a shadow. That's a halo on Jesus. 
That's right. We're, we're all going to see King Jesus clearly. We'll be able to sing his praises with strong voices. We'll be able to lift our hands and shout and jump praises to Jesus with strength and joy unspeakable. Because our bodies are going to be brand new in Christ Jesus. And we look forward to that. And we say that through our, oh, our groanings and our moanings today. Oh, man. So I just love, love, love this. And it says, the waters will break forth in the wilderness. So again, Isaiah is going back to the land that's going to be restored. He says this in 7 through 9. The scorched land will become a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals, its resting place, grass becomes reeds and rushes. So the land again, as we talked about and shown these pictures, just flourishing again with flowers and water and life. And then interesting, I love verse 8, a highway is going to be there. A roadway, and it will be called the Highway of Holiness. There's going to be a road passing through the land of Israel, and I've done some quick reading. It's called the Way of the Sea. And later on, the Romans used it called the Pax Romana, that they paid their ways to. Because of the way Israel sits, it's the passageway that connects Europe to Africa and Egypt. It's the way of the sea. But this, this land will not, this road will not be called the way of the sea any longer. It's not going to be called the Roman road anymore. When King Jesus comes back, it's called the highway of holiness. And all that will come from around the world, all the nations will one day come to King Jesus as he rules justly the world. And we're going to, those that come will only be those who are holy in Christ Jesus. It says this, the unclean will not travel on it. Those that are evil will not travel on this road, but it will be for him who walks in that way, the way of holiness, and fools will not wander on it. As I read that, I think about our highways around here in Northport and Tuscaloosa. We got some idiots and fools on the highways. Do we not? And we got some evil people traveling our highways. Well, I, I hear that, huh? No cell phones on the highway, no texting while you're driving on the highway of holiness, you know. And so, but we live in a world today where our roads are used for evil. 2059 here is a human trafficking highway. Evil is being transported on this highway, this interstate system. There are evil things riding the roads around us today. Foolish, ignorant, stupid people driving these roads today, causing havoc and chaos wherever they go. But when King Jesus comes back to rule and to reign, he is going to put that to an end, and the foolish and the evil will not be allowed to travel into the land of Israel. Do they? I'll have to look it up. Yeah. Oh, I got to find that. The Holy Highway. Verse 9. 
And in, on this holy highway, when you travel it, no lion will be there, nor will there be any vicious beast to go upon it. These will not be found there. We were walking down to Hurricane Creek the other day, uh, Monday, Dean and I were, never been there. Anybody been to Hurricane Creek? It's a nice little uh, walkway. The river's there, the creek, and you can pass it. You can walk along, and it's overgrown right now, and it's the summertime. And, and while we're walking that pathway, I'm continually looking around for snakes. You know, I'm watching my path on that little, uh, uh, not a road, but just that pathway there. I'm aware that this is a, while it's beautiful, it's dangerous. It's overgrown. And I, I'm, I'm scared a little bit. Not scared, scared. I'm enjoying it, but I'm aware of my surroundings. I got to be because there's danger lurking in those bushes. But on the holy highway, you don't have to walk and worry about that. You ain't got to worry about something lying, jumping out of the bushes to scare you or eat you when you're on your way to King see Jesus. You know, Jesus got you covered and you're coming and you're going when you come to see him. And then finally there, it says this, verse 10, the last part of verse 9, but the redeemed will walk there, and the ransomed of the Lord will return and come with joyful shouting to Zion, with everlasting joy upon their heads. They will find gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. In my translation, one, two, three, four times it says gladness or joy in one verse. So in the end time, when King Jesus comes and sets up his kingdom, it's going to be joy, joy, joy. Nothing but pure joy in the presence of King Jesus. Nothing but pure joy for the land and the people that live under his rule and reign. It's going to be glorious. Just joy, joy, joy. I look forward to that, don't you? Yeah. I love this chapter. It's one of my favorites. There's so many other things that we could get cross-reference and stuff, but, but that's where I'm at. So it's good. I've enjoyed getting to come in here and share this with you and just do my morning devotional more extensively. So I hope you enjoyed it, and uh, y'all have a good day. God bless you. Thanks for tuning in today. Join us next week as Pastor John continues the study. And if you're looking for more, find us at northportbaptist.org.